0: All right. Well, good morning, Anthem. It is uh, fun to see you guys here. Uh, I was giving the 8 o'clock service a hard time. Um, It's just hard to get up that early for them sometimes. But anyway, good to see the room is uh, full and people excited to just be worshiping with one another. Love having uh, Justin lead out this morning. He's one of our college guys who's just uh, jumped into serving at Anthem over the course of the last six months. And uh, yeah, a joy to watch other people help. Uh, lead out in this place. But this morning, like Stan said, we are going to be in the book of Acts. We love going book by book through books of the Bible, uh, just seeing what God's Word has for us. Uh, But before jumping into Acts this morning, I actually want to read uh, a quote uh, that I'm taking from the Barna Research Group. They're a group that's existed for the last 30 years to help uh, Christians and people throughout the United States and world kind of know what the status and state of Christianity is in our world. And so, uh, let me read that quote, uh, alarming quote, really, uh, from them. It says, Christian adults believe their churches are doing well when it comes to discipleship. 52% of those who have attended church in the past six months say their church, quote, definitely does a good job helping people grow spiritually. And another 40% say it probably does. Yet, despite believing their church emphasizes spiritual growth, only 20% of Christian adults are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. Whether it be Sunday school, meeting with a spiritual mentor, studying the Bible with a group, or reading and discussing a Christian book with a group. Beyond this, only 17% say they meet with a spiritual mentor as part of their discipleship effort. Church leaders, conversely, Tend to believe the opposite is true about discipleship. Only one percent of leaders say that today's churches are doing very well at discipling new and young believers. And so if we have a hundred pastors from across the United States sitting in one room, two would raise their hands and say that discipleship is going very well in this nation. And 98 would raise their hands and say that it's not. And I read that a couple days ago, and it blew my mind. But at the same time, wasn't incredibly surprised, because when I look at different churches that I was around and grew up in at different times, there was a hole in the world of discipleship. I was reading a statistic as well that says that that 75% of Christians desire to have a spiritual mentor. I don't know if you feel or see the, the disconnect there, but if there's not even 20% that have someone older than, than them in the faith spiritually guiding them, shepherding their heart in some way, shape, or form, not even 20% have that, but we have 75% of believers raising their hands and say, you know what, Like, I, I, I just started following after Jesus and I'm a sinner and I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm trying to understand God's beautiful word to me but I need help and we have spiritual infants raising their hands and saying I, I don't know what to do with this topic, I, I don't know what to do with dating, I don't know what to do with my marriage, I don't know what to do with the financial stresses that I'm feeling this year, I don't know what to do about this ethical question, what do I do with my kids during school this year? Decisions are hard, and we need guides. And it'd be one thing if God's Word didn't say anything about growing in maturity. It'd be one thing if it never mentioned anything about discipleship. But it's all over. It's all over God's Word that spiritual growth and maturity, shepherding other people's lives as followers of Jesus, is a huge part of God's plan. It. We'll put Deuteronomy up here on the screen. It says in Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay, that's the call of a believer. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Here's discipleship. Repeat them to your children. Understand it, personalize it, grasp it, and repeat that to your children. We can see where it says in Acts, 1 8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In 1 Peter, it says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Hebrews 6 1 It says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward, not backward, forward to maturity. And so I think there's a tension in our hearts right now because we see this statistic and we're like, oh man, there's so many people who want to be discipled but aren't being discipled. And then we look at God's word and it's, it talks about over and over the need for growth in our lives to be spiritually matured. And a big part of that happening is through other people in the faith shepherding our lives. And so that's why four years ago, Stan Hyek and a group of others came down here and said, you know what? We want to start a church in Columbia where we can be a light on Mizzou's campus, where we can be a light in this city, where we can help raise up more and more believers to know, love, and obey Jesus. And during that process, be guiding them to do the same, to be guiding to shepherd other people's lives as well. Because we all need to have Guides and shepherds in our lives. This is not a lone wolf, lone ranger life that God's given us. He's given us community, and part of community is shepherding and discipleship and growth. And so this morning, as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see through six characteristics of a healthy shepherd named Paul how we can either be led by a healthy guide or how maybe if we've been a believer, how we can become a healthy guide. So you might be in here and you're in a spot where you need to be more so led or maybe you're in a spot where you've been following hard after the Lord, you've had other people shepherding and guiding in your life and you're in a spot where it's your turn to take that responsibility to be a shepherd and guide for people around you. And that's where, as we zoom in on the text, we're going to see that there's six different areas that a shepherd needs to be aware of in their life. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we will begin that journey together. And so, God, we thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you for, uh, yeah, just that crisp air that uh, hit us when we were walking out the door, God. Thank you that we get to breathe air, live life. But, Lord, I also thank you that you have given us a book to guide and direct us, Lord. I pray that uh, we would be a church and a place and a community where we would use your book to help guide one another. Lord, we're broken sinners who desperately need you as our Savior. And God, we want to play the the mission and role that you've called us to in reaching this community and in guiding and shepherding others, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 20. That's where we will be this morning, And as you're going there, I'll give a little bit of a, the storyline of Acts so far. So basically, Jesus has gone to be with the Father, and he's equipped uh, different men and women to begin the early church. And so the, the early church is beginning. Disciples are beginning to be made uh, across the Middle East into Western Asia. And now for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul, a guy who was a key figure in helping that mission be started. And so we've seen him uh, just evangelizing, going into places, preaching the good news of Jesus. Sometimes it would be places that were very resistant to the gospel. Other times it was, it was places where people just had open ears and wanted to hear. But one thing we can note with Paul, be- before we even jump in, is we can see he wasn't a guy who was just playing this game of like gospel drop and run, right? He wouldn't just show up, preach a message real quick, and just go do a different thing. He'd preach the message and then he would live among those peoples in the trenches with them, shepherding and guiding them along the way. And so let's look at Acts 20 uh, verses 1 to 6 and see the first two characteristics of a healthy shepherd. Verse 1. After the uproar ceased, that's referencing uh, an uproar in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. Sopatar the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in 5 days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for 7 days. The first thing we can kind of observe going on in here is that Paul is very aware of the situation. He knows what's happening around him. They just got done with this thing in Ephesus where there was this uproar, this rising, where there was riots happening. People were frustrated because the the people of God, these, these people of the way, these new Christians, they were coming into their community, delivering this message that was an alternative message, very different than the gods that they were following after, very different than the witchcraft that they were involved in. And so that sort of thing happens In Acts 19, and so we see Paul here in Acts 20, noticing that's what's going on. And we can see in verse 1, he sends for those disciples that were part of that uprising. And if you can picture just uh, Paul in a room, gathering the, the other disciples who were involved in that in Ephesus, sits them down, circles the wagons, And he he starts to show what it looks like to be a healthy shepherd. He encourages them. He admits that what they just went through was probably really hard. And he says, you know what? God is still good, and he still has a plan for us. He still has a plan for the gospel going forward in Ephesus. And so he sits them down. He encourages them and helps them see that there is still hope, even though what they just witnessed was maybe the last thing they would have desired. So he circles the wagons, he encourages. And we can see from the New Testament, this wasn't anything new for Paul. This is what Paul did. He wrote, I think, 13 letters. And he sends in those letters, every time, I believe, a greeting and a farewell, which is full of so much encouragement to help the people of the early church see that they have hope in the even when sort of situations of life. And I don't know if you're someone who's had a lot of encouragement around you growing up or as you've lived life or if you've been a person of encouragement or not. But it is a a gracious and wonderful thing when God puts people in our lives that do bring us encouragement. I know for me, I tend to kind of have this Eeyore complex that I call it. I don't know if you grew up watching Winnie the Pooh or not, but uh, there's the, you know, famed character, Eeyore, who's always like, well, probably wouldn't have had a good day anyways, and just had this like monotone, awful perspective on life. That's me a lot of times. And for people who know me well, they're like, well, you're you're not wrong, Serene, you're not wrong. And so I have to have people around me encouraging me helping me see, man, there's so much hope in the gospel. There's so much hope for whatever time or season you find yourself in. And that's what Paul got to be for those believers in the early church. He was an excellent communicator, yes, but he also was just this encourager that cared for people so well around him. I mean, I think sometimes we need to thank those people that have brought us encouragement more often than what we do. Like I, I can think of years ago when I was working at a camp, In Maryland, there was a guy named Carl who did such a good job of bringing me under his wing and helping me see that even though as a camp counselor I felt like the world was burning and these eight children that were all under the age of six were going to just, yeah, ruin my life. He would bring peace and calm, correction, direction. And because of that, would end up getting to the end of the summer watching God do a deep work in the hearts of people around me. And so Paul was an encourager. We can see also in the text, he, he wasn't only an encourager, but he was also a gatherer. In verse 1, like I said, he, he sent four disciples. He brought people in around him. But we can see too in verse 3, it says, there he spent three months. He didn't only gather people around him for a moment, but he gathered them in such a way that they would be loved and sought after. He would gather people around him so much that, that he would take people with him everywhere he went. In verses 4 to 5, it talks about the different people that went with him from place to place as they were going together to bring correction and encouragement. And so he had this lifestyle where he just brought people in. Through how he carried himself, people began to follow. And that wasn't always his story, but God did a working in his life, and he became a shepherd who not only encouraged but gathered people As well, And I don't know if you guys grew up in a community like me or not, but um, grew up doing construction work with my dad, concrete work, fun stuff always. And uh, yeah, we'd always go to the gas station to get coffee and donuts or whatever to like delay the day by 25 minutes or something like that. I don't know. It was a very good routine because I was getting paid for it and my dad always paid for the donuts, which is great. Um, But there was always that old community gas station guy who just knew everybody. You just walk in and it's like, Oh yeah, there's there's Fred. Hey Fred, good to see you. And literally every person that would go in there had that sort of interaction. And so Paul was a guy that gathered in such a way where everybody knew who Paul was. And of yesteryear in his life, they would have known him as a very bad and evil man. But now, Paul was a guy to them, oh, that's a man who's following after the Lord and the Lord's mission. And so he was a shepherd who encouraged and gathered As we go on into verses 7 to 12, we're going to see how he also was a shepherd through how he fathered people around him. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Don't worry, I will not be doing that. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. I don't know if he had a real suave voice or what, but Eutychus can't, can't keep his act together, falling asleep. After being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted, meaning they were very comforted to what had happened. And so Paul, as a father, he he brings the family together. There's a group of believers in Troas here, and he's gathering them, bringing them some encouragement, bringing them some direction for their lives. This is the last time that Paul's going to be interacting with most of these people. It's kind of the the passing of the baton that's about to happen. And so he's in this third story room late into the night, guiding, encouraging, challenging the people of the early church. He was a father in that he brought the family together, had the conversations that fathers ought to be having. But then we can see verse 10, he also was a father who brought peace and calm when death was at the door. Okay, so Eutychus, I don't know if he just like appreciated Paul's voice so much that he couldn't pay attention or what. I don't know why he fell asleep. It was getting late into the night. Might've been warm up there. It said there were many lamps in the room. But he falls asleep. But what does Paul do there? He notices it immediately, acts on it immediately, prays for him immediately, and witnesses the Lord do a work in his life. And Eutychus comes back to life. And then it's followed by this thing where it's not just like, oh, well, all right, guys, well, that happened, that ended the night. They go right back up to the third story, and they talk and encourage until daybreak. Pull an all-nighter. Because he knew this was the last time he was going to be around them and he wanted to be able to send them on feeling loved, encouraged, and challenged, and guided. He wanted to be a healthy shepherd as a father. As we go on into verse 17 to 27, we're going to see he also was a servant leader. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and this is is a big moment, his final words to this group of elders from Ephesus. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house Paul was a a servant leader, and it was a a two-arm sort of thing. He's equipping them in one way, and then we also see him at the same time he's serving them. He's equipping them. Verse 17, he was directing and guiding the Ephesian elders. Verse 20, we can see that he was teaching them everything that was profitable. So everything that Paul had learned over the years of ministry, I think he did 30-some years of ministry, everything that he had learned, he was passing on goes on to say, in verse 27, he shared the whole counsel of God that God had revealed to him. He took this Ephesians 4 sort of mentality seriously, where he was equipping the saints for acts of service. Let's look at Ephesians 4 up here on the screen. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God's designed that. Why did he design it? For building up the body of Christ? until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And so as part of Paul's mission as a shepherd of these people to equip them, to guide them, to shepherd them to understand the things of God. But as I said before, it wasn't this drop the gospel and run sort of attitude he had. He lived in the trenches with them and served them. Verse 18, we can just see how much of a giver and not a taker Paul was. Verse 18 says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day, I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Go on to verse 24. It says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul knew it wasn't about the first day. It wasn't about serving for a little bit. It wasn't about just presenting a sermon once and leaving. He was going to stay in their lives to finish the course well. He was going to serve day after day alongside them, in the trenches. If they were getting persecuted, he was getting persecuted. He was ready to be at their side, to encourage and to be with them in that. He was a servant leader. So we read on into verse 28. We're gonna see he also was a watchman. And to the elders, he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. He is a watchman who's warning them of the wolves. He's saying within your church, even within your church, Ephesian elders, there will be wolves. Beyond your walls, there will be wolves. So you leaders within the church, be on guard. Pay attention. Pay careful attention of yourselves. Because so often it's, it's easy for people to hear a nice thing and run with it. And then suddenly that becomes their doctrine and their theology. And then they bring that into a a faith setting like a church. And they begin to share that and try to get other people to follow after them. Paul had seen that. He had witnessed that. Before he knew Jesus, he was part of that. And so now we see him warning watch out for wolves. And so he was preparing them for a transition, he knew that he was going to be going. He knew that he was going to be passing on, and so he set them up from the beginning, from the first day, and then he also sends them on well as his life was about to end, passing the baton saying, all right, like right, I've been trying to protect this church body from wolves. With a group of elders there, I've been trying to protect the church body from wolves. I'm gone. like I'm out now, so it's on you. And he's warning them. And we have to pause and admit, like we live in a world, even within Christian subculture, where wolves exist. And even within our church, there are people who have steered us away from our mission. And that's why it is just so important as shepherds and as guides, as disciple makers, to know God's word, to let this instruct how we live. And to bring things to attention within this church body when that's not being followed. In love, of course, in thought, with best intention to glorify God in mind, but nonetheless warning of the wolves because the wolves will come. And what do they do if they're not corrected or not paused or not stopped? It says, not sparing the flock. After I depart, fierce wolves will come, not sparing the flock. So Paul was being a watchman for them. As we finish the the text here, we can see he also at the root of this was an abiding child of God. If anything was making him a good shepherd, it was none of himself but all of the Lord. So let's read 32 through the end. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship, We get to the end of the passage, the end of Paul's time in Asia. And we see the source of his leadership and strength in Jesus Christ. Verse 36 says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There wasn't some big charge where he was saying, Remember everything I said, follow everything I ever did parting moment they're gathering yet again for another time in prayer with one another putting their hearts before the lord with the hard transition that's coming up and ending the relationship well and so he was an abiding child of god god had instilled in the heart of paul a shepherd's heart the chief shepherd the shepherd of all shepherds jesus had entered his life, made him an under-shepherd. And Paul played that role to the point of him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and he set the pace as he encouraged people, as he gathered people around him, as he fathered people, as he served people, as he watched for wolves, and as he abided. He shepherded well to the end. In Ezekiel, there's a, a really powerful group of chapters, 33 and 34, Where we read of God interacting with the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, I am going to have you as a watchman on the wall. As a prophet of God, it was their role to hear what God would say and to communicate it to God's people. Even if they didn't want to hear it, the prophet's role was to communicate the message. And so, an analogy that the Lord brings before him is that he's saying, Ezekiel, you are a watchman on the wall. And if this is the wall below me and I'm Ezekiel, it's like there are enemies on the horizon and the watchman needs to be aware of those enemies. But even beyond that, the watchman has to understand what's happening within the wall. They need to understand who of the flock may be a wolf. And so God gives him this role and responsibility. Son of man, you are a watchman on the wall. Let's, let's look at the, the passage up here. So you, son of man, that's referencing Ezekiel, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning. It was his job to warn the people of God when enemies were coming. Whether that was an enemy in a person or whether that was an enemy of the people of God following after something else. Some cultural thing of their day, some trend of their day. And So the watchman was there to communicate, to warn, to help, to guide, to lead. And yet there's also this other call that God has. He says, that is so much your duty that if you fail to do that, the blood is on your hands. Like if you see an enemy coming, but you don't communicate it to the people, or if you see that there are wolves among the people, but you don't communicate that to the people, the blood is on your hands. And that's heavy and that's hard, but that is the same sort of thing that we need to feel for discipleship. That's the sort of thing that we need to feel for shepherding people around us. Like, God has put the people in our lives so that we would guide them, so that we would shepherd them. And where we just shirk that responsibility and say, you know, it's just the pastor's job. Or, you know, it's just too hard. It's too hard to talk to my cousin about faith. It's too hard to respect my parents when I'm home. It's too easy to come up with excuses for why I shouldn't be shepherding or discipling people. And we don't feel the weight of God having you held accountable for reaching your people. And so even thinking of a Thanksgiving break, like college students, you're going home to your world. You are the watchman for your family. Like, just assume that that's your role. As you go to your workplace. As you're sitting with your family. On some random night of the week. Dads. Moms, it's, it's your job to have your ears sensitive to maybe what your kids are sharing or aren't sharing and to be a watchman, and overseer in that moment to shepherd and guide and lead. And we have to feel that way. There's a lot of different aspects of shepherding and it's hard and it's messy. But man, when, when we show people that we care about them and love them and we sit with them and empathize with them. By God's grace, a lot of times people actually do listen. But it's taking that step, like Paul, where you're playing that fatherly or motherly role, where you're leaning in and listening a little bit more than what you maybe were, where you're maybe serving them or equipping them. God calls a believer to be a shepherd. It's a synonymous thing. It's, there, there, there aren't Christians that exist who won't in some way, shape, or form also be shepherds of the people around them. And so if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, what is that conviction in your heart that you're feeling for a next step? Is it having a hard conversation with someone in a fatherly way? Is it starting to actually spend hours of your week either getting shepherded and guided or beginning to shepherd and guide other people? What is that? And if you're in here and you're like, man, like this is good information, love it. I see it in the text, but I'm figuring out what Christianity even is. And for you, it's it's not figuring out this role of how to shepherd. It's to be meeting the chief shepherd, that is Jesus. Because before we can start doing this mission of shepherding other people's lives, we need to meet with the Lord of all the earth and be real before him of where we're at. And so for you, the the step would be to consider giving your life to Jesus and letting him be the shepherd of your soul from the first day to the last and as you're doing that, as you begin that relationship with Jesus, then taking that responsibility, feeling that weight to be the watchman on the wall for the people around you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, we praise you for who you are, God. We uh, thank you for all the The blessings that you've given us God we thank you for life we thank you for uh, guidance in your word Lord and this morning we thank you that there are other shepherds who have gone before us God to bring us wisdom to bring us counsel in life and Lord I, I just pray over each individual in this room young or old on fire for the Lord or questioning God I pray that they would engage in the wrestle that's in their heart right now Lord whether it's a wrestle to to begin to follow after someone else and understand their faith, whether it's a wrestle of giving their life to Christ, or whether it's a wrestle of admitting the excuses that they have for not shepherding well. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.